Welcome to the Fit and Fierce podcast, a show to inspire and empower you and remind you that we're all a little messed up and that's okay. I'm your host, Megan. And in my personal journey, I realized that the fiercest thing I ever did was to ask for help. I no longer wanted my story to rule me. I was going to own it and share it. And throughout each one of these episodes, I want you to remember that being flawed doesn't make you less. It makes you more. We are in 2020. You guys, can you seriously believe it? New year, new decade, pretty crazy. And thinking about the possibilities that it holds for each and every one of you is really, really exciting. Even though I don't think that we have to wait till a certain time to start new things or be excited, there's just something new and fresh about it. And I hope that all of you had the best experience wrapping up your 2019 and that you're going into 2020 with the drive and the power and motivation to continue to fucking kill as you guys always do. I couldn't think of a better guest to ring in the first episode of 2020 than Jacqueline. Jacqueline, or you might know her as the anxious therapist. Oh, you guys, this episode, I wish that we could do like a series where she is on the podcast once a month because I could just continue to talk and talk to her nonstop. Jacqueline helps anxious women heal from past trauma and calm the fuck down love that tagline. She has her own podcast, the Anxious Therapist Podcast, which she is reaching almost a hundred thousand listeners, which is just incredible. And you will know why. You will understand why people are flocking to follow her on social media, to work with her, and to listen to her podcast because she speaks very open and honestly about her struggles with anxiety, how she suffered panic attacks daily, and how she took the biggest leap of faith and invested in a year of her life working through that and how she does that with all of her clients as well, both one-on-one in her therapy setting and also in her online space. It's talking about how we switch from that victim mindset to empowerment and how that really is what you need to do to transform your life. And trust me, she gets it. She's open about what it's like to be in that space. She's not somebody who's just telling you to stop playing victim. She's one that said, I get it. I know it's hard. I've done it for myself, but I'm leveling up and showing you that. This episode is jam packed with golden nuggets. You guys are going to take so much away from it. And if you yourself struggle with anxiety or know somebody that does, please share it because this message needs to be heard. And please go and check out Jacqueline as well because she just is always that inspiration and that daily motivation to just keep going and to choose yourself. And before we dive in, I want to say, speaking of choosing yourself, We are just a few days away from the Mindset and Muscle Mastermind program starting up. There are 
a handful of spots left, just a sliver of spots left. And I want you to take advantage of that if you have not already. It is my signature program that is combining everything of my years of coaching, of therapy, of everything that I needed to transform my body, my life, my mindset into a place of peace and thriving instead of just going along with emotions instead of hating myself instead of being on another diet instead of fearing food and over exercising to a place of love peace passion and sustainable change everything that i took me years to master i wrapped up into eight weeks and we are doing the most intimate coaching group it is the most comprehensive one that I can imagine. And I know that you need to be a part of it. You are here listening to this week in and week out for a reason. Pick yourself, choose yourself. It is your time. There's information down in the show notes that can get you a quick call with me. We can really talk about what are your goals? Where are you struggling? What do we need to do? So you are setting yourself up for a lifelong success, lifelong happiness and joy. Make sure you take advantage of that. You just have a few days left and the 10 women that are starting this program with me are getting a pretty significant saving because I want to give that to you. That is what I want to give back to you in 2020. So make sure you grab that now um, and then sit back and enjoy and listen to the amazing Jacqueline. Welcome back everybody. I'm very very excited to sit down and chat with my guest today. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, thank you, Megan. I met Megan through a mastermind a couple of years ago, and it has been an amazing connection. I love everything that you're doing. So just major, major kudos to you. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. So my name is Jacqueline. I am living in Minnesota, born and raised in the Midwest. And if it's okay with you, Megan, I'd like to just kind of jump into my story and how I got where I am today. Please, please do. Okay. So I grew up in a blended family did the whole step parents thing from a very young age. That's what I knew. Uh, So I had to grow up pretty fast. I didn't have a ton of you know, support because my parents were figuring their own stuff out. And it felt like I just had to be strong for everybody else. I didn't want to stir the pot or add problems. So I have been a lifelong people pleaser. I, you know, that was exhausting. You know, I didn't want to live like that, but I didn't know any different. People would always compliment me you know, you're so grown up, you're so mature. And I always thought that that was such a compliment because I was like, yeah, I am until I got a little bit older and started questioning things. And I said, where did my childhood go? And so growing up like that was really difficult, but I really didn't know any different. And it wasn't until middle school, um, my best friend, we were 12 years old, committed suicide. And I, it, it changed my entire life. I, didn't know what to do with myself. I I didn't know how to cope. Um, And almost exactly one year later, my grandma passed away from cancer and she practically raised me. And so my world was turned upside down. My parents got me into therapy and I had the wildest therapist. I mean, she was just a trip. She was a hoot. She really helped me through some stuff. And it was at that point that I decided 
I need, I need to do this. I need to do what she's doing. You know, I was 13 years old and I was like, I'm going to become a therapist. And so I followed that track. I saw it through, you know, I was a 4.0 student in high school and through college um, because I, I never wanted to let anybody down. I was so, I was such a perfectionist. I just wanted to make sure that everybody was proud of me and that I was not another source of conflict for my parents who were already struggling. So I got to college and, you know, things were going all right. Um, I met a group of friends and it led to a lot of partying. And that was how I was coping. Um, at that point, I had an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. I wasn't really aware of it until I was into my grad program. So at this point, I, you know, was heavy into alcoholism, which runs in my family. I was partying at least four days a week to the point of like blacking out. And I got into grad school. I don't know how I survived college, but I got into <laughs> grad school and um, that I, I was like, I'm going to be a therapist. So that's what I that's what I went for. And when I was sitting in a class one night, I'll never forget it. We were learning about anxiety disorders and I was like, oh shit, I have one of these. This is me. And you're not supposed to diagnose yourself like therapy 101, right? <laughs> so I was like, all right, so we're going to, we're going to figure this out. And so I, I was like, just get through your master's program, you know, get a good job and then you can have space to heal and, and deal with this. And so I went from having panic attacks every single day. Um, but it wasn't until I had one at work, I, I completed my grad program, I became a therapist. And I was about a year into working as a full time therapist. And I had a panic attack at work, something had happened with a client that just sent me over the edge, my uh, fortunately, you know, no client saw it. But um, you know, my fellow staff <laughs> did. And it was at that point that I was like, yeah, Yep, I'm probably going to need to go to therapy for myself because it's pretty hypocritical that I'm sitting here treating other people's mental health and I am not taking care of my own. And so it was this huge battle of like, I am one of these. Why do I need one? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where it, I had to like let go of my pride and set my ego to the side and just say, you are being a hypocrite you know, go sit in the other chair. And I did that for an entire year. And it was the most intensive thing I've ever done in my life, but it gave me so much perspective. So I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and that was so relieving to look back over my life and go, oh my gosh, like I see it, you know, I see how it was playing out, how I was just trying to keep everyone at peace, how I was so obsessed with, you know, I would rehearse what I was going to say to my parents so that I would avoid conflict. I would plan and prepare. And looking back, I'm like, other kids weren't doing that, you know, and I, I can see how my anxiety was playing out throughout my life. And so I, I was sick of it. I was, you know, panic attacks are exhausting, physically, mentally, emotionally, just completely draining. And I couldn't live like that anymore. And so I spent all of 2018 in intensive therapy, healing all of those things, digging up those old wounds and the trauma from my past, growing up in a blended family, the conflict, you know, all of those things brought it all back up to the surface and gave it space to heal. And once I did that, it's like, I'm a different person now completely. I know how to set boundaries. I know how to look out for myself and take care of myself. And that's not something I've ever had before. So now this in 2019, I've now switched to private practice. 
I create my own schedule. I get to choose what kind of clients I want to work with. I have the freedom and flexibility. And then I started an online anxiety coaching program, which has been absolutely phenomenal to connect with women online, you know, usually from Instagram who are struggling with their mental health. And they're like, you know, I don't think a therapist is for me, but I need some guidance in this area. It has been an amazing experience. Well, and it's been so wonderful to watch kind of from the corner of seeing your Instagram, seeing how it changed and the way that people interact with you and uh, Mm. comment and post. Like it's like to see the way that you transform lives is truly, truly inspirational. Oh, thank you. And that honestly, Jacqueline, that is because you are you show up in your most raw and vulnerable self. If you guys don't follow Jacqueline, which everything will be listed, you guys need to, it's, there's good, there's bad, there's dark, there's light, but it's all honest. Yeah. No, that, I mean, I think that that's the point, right? Like if you show up in an online space and you pretend that everything is just peachy and great and, you know, like that sets a tone for the people around you. We all fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to others. And I never want, you know, I, on my podcast, it's where I want to remind you we're never alone, right? That's the whole idea behind what I do is that reminding people like as you're scrolling and you know, you're seeing everybody's perfect photos and their matching family pajamas and their perfectly cooked meals and all these things that you're not saying to yourself that I'm a failure because I'm not that right. It's that keep it real, let people resonate with what you're saying. And why would I want to struggle alone? It's been so healing for me to put myself out there and have people go, are you reading my mind? You know, like, how Mm -hmm. do you know that? How do you feel that? And it's like, because I'm in it, we're doing this together. And do you ever struggle sometimes going back and forth with either where is the line of what I should and shouldn't share? Or do, do people ever come at you and say, like, you're sometimes I think there's just this stigma about posting of like, you want people to get your attention and to be seen, but it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm just showing up with a reason I'm showing up totally. for somebody. Yeah. And there's a ton of judgment around it. You know, the first time, so there's a period in college uh, where I was feeling suicidal and I never told anybody about it at the time. I just, you know, I, I somehow got through it. And so now, you know, years and years later, I decided to openly share about that on social media because I don't want suicide to be this like scary word that people are afraid to talk about or bring up, you know, and I think more people experience those feelings than is ever talked about. And so I wanted to bring to light that, hey, this is where I was. But the first time my family was finding out about it, my close friends was on social media. And so there was a lot of heat from that like my own mother calling me crying going are you okay you know I'm like mom that was years ago like and she's like why didn't you reach out why you know and I said I was a different person then you know we we get in that dark space and we isolate and you know we put our heads down and and she it it really hurt her but I was okay with that because it needed to be talked about I was like yeah I can see as my mother how it would hurt you that I ever felt that way that I ever wanted to end my life but that's part of my story. And that's, you know, I, I want people to know that like, there is some normalcy. Part of being alive is thinking about death. So in whatever capacity that might look like, 
we all think about it to some extent. Now, thinking about taking your own life, right? That's extreme in that sense, but it needs to be talked about. And and I was I knew the questions were going to come after that. I knew people were going to be like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you speak up? But I weighed that. And for me, it was like, it's worth it. You know, I'll, I'll field all the questions because I want to talk about it. I want my, my audience, my followers, my, these are my people. I need them to know that I've been there and I am proof that when you put in the work, you can survive these things and, and all of that too. And I think too, just always knowing like you're coming from a place of love and support for somebody else. So it is worth it. Totally. And I definitely identify too, when I was starting to open up about struggling with food and my body and exercise, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell the people that were closest around me. I wasn't in that space yet, but opening up on social media was easier for me. Totally. Totally. It, it was a just mess. Even if they knew it was, it was where I was at that moment and it was easier um, to just post and kind yeah. of free write it than mm-hmm. to have to have that face-to-face conversation. I completely agree. It's like, there's not a good time to bring that up. Like no. over oh, dinner, hey, you know, when I'm visiting back home, like, Oh, by the way, <laughs> like there was this time. It's just, yeah. I, there's also a level to me as well that in the early stages too. And actually now it's not fun conversations that I always want to have, but there's a piece of, I need to feel my emotions. I can't take on your emotions with that too. Yes. Yes. It's already heavy enough for me to deal with. I know that as a parent or somebody who loves me, you're going to have like your mom did. Obviously that's a very hard. I can't even imagine to hear or know that about your child, but you were trying to figure field your space out, let alone try to handle as you did as a child, always the emotions of somebody else. Right. You're so right. And what a bold step for you to finally stand up and say, I've lived this storyline my entire life of being the people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm choosing me. Yes. Yeah. Now I, I joke with everyone and say that I'm a people pleaser in recovery, right? <laughs> I'm a recovering perfectionist, all those things, because I'm not labeling myself like that anymore, you know? You had mentioned a couple times talking about different types of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine that obviously anxiety looks different from person to person. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Absolutely. So a little bit more background. I am a trauma-focused therapist. And even trauma, it falls under the category of an anxiety-based disorder. So post-traumatic stress disorder is an anxiety-based disorder because of how it impacts your life and your brain. The the fear that comes with it is very fear-based. And so, you know, we have everything from social anxiety or separation anxiety. So, you know, being in new situations, that discomfort or being away from someone who makes you feel safe, that type of anxiety to my anxiety disorder, which is generalized. So it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to worry about it kind of thing. And to the point where it disrupts my life. And so for me, it's that extensive history of panic attacks. I can handle a little bit of worry here and there, but the difference with an anxiety disorder is that it is literally debilitating. I mean, there were days where, you know, I, I've had to call into work because my anxiety was so bad. I, I don't sleep because it's so bad. And those, the aftermath, I call it, um, anxiety, like that hangover <laughs> feeling after, after a panic attack is, 
exhausting. I mean, it's, it's horrendous. Your whole body hurts. It's like a physical sensation. And so I do think the word anxiety is kind of thrown around and exchanged freely with worry. However, they're totally different. Um, We all worry to an extent, right? Like, did I pay that bill? Did I get that done? But anxiety takes it a step further where it is impacting your day-to-day life. And that, that's the point that I was at. Can we actually go into what your thoughts and feelings are of kind of this bandwagon of anxiety? I think it's Mm -hmm. sometimes very, like you said, I think interchangeable. We don't, Mm -hmm. we have taken the value out of, I think, what actual anxiety is. I think we've Mm -hmm. taken the value of that word and I think it's really easy to be thrown around. And I think it's sometimes, and I know this sounds horrendous, but almost kind of in in vogue or in style to say Mm -hmm. like, oh, I have anxiety. Totally. It very much so is. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because as an advocate for mental health, I want so badly to increase the awareness and decrease the stigma. I mean, that is my biggest focus. And so it's nice that people are coming out and saying, you know, I'm anxious, you know, here and, and talking freely about it, but there is such a difference between the two. And that is when it really grinds my gears um, because we're not, because then we're just adding to the stigma. If we're saying, you know, and, and it's the same thing with depression. Oh, I'm so depressed. I'm, I'm this and that. And we use those words so freely that it then starts to lose meaning for the people who are struggling with that. So there's a, again, a difference between feeling sad and feeling depressed, right? Like, and, and we can't use those words interchangeably because it does continue to add to the stigma. It's the same as people who say, you know, oh my God, my mom is so bipolar. And what they mean to say is, you know, my mom has like, can switch from happy to sad, you know, or she can be so happy and then like be mad quickly. And, and they're seeing something totally different. Like people very rarely use the term bipolar correctly. Same with OCD, right? Like I'm a little OCD about that. When people say that statement, it like really makes me want to pull my hair out because you're not a little OCD about something because you like it organized and straightened up and, you know, a certain way, right? like the certain volume on your TV that does not make you OCD. Someone who has obsessive compulsive disorder is literally is becomes life or death. Like they fear something bad is going to happen if they don't engage in certain behaviors. And so that is so such a different extent than what you prefer the volume to be set on the TV, right? Like we hear that all the time. People are like, I can't stand for it to be, you know, odd numbers or whatever. I don't know why it's always the volume, but it's, some, <laughs> it's things like that or like how my room is organized or how the dishwasher is set. But the difference is, is it's, str- it's like very painful for me when people say things like that, because there's just no awareness and it's not, you know, I, there's no judgment on people. Like I'm sure that I said things like that in the past, but it's frustrating that like in school, we aren't taught these things. No one's teaching us about mental health. No one's talking about it. And why do I have to learn about all the physicalities of my body in certain classes in high school, but no one once ever said, and this is what anxiety and depression look like. Or, you know, if you have trauma, it might look like this. And, and no one had those conversations. And so that no one, you know, people out saying these things, you're not to blame. And this is not a guilt and shame thing at all. But it is think about things before you say it, right? Like, 
people used to say all the time, that's so gay, right? And Mm -hmm. we've learned that that's totally inappropriate and not okay to say at all, or, you know, like using the R word inappropriately. And we've moved away from those things. So that's my hope around mental health too, because people say they have ADHD, like, oh, I just can't focus. Well, that's not really what that means, you know? And I just want people to bring awareness to these things because we are doing a disservice as we try to decrease the stigma. When we say things like that, it just increases it. That if someone is bipolar, it means that they're crazy, right? So when your mom gets upset and yells at you, oh my God, she's so bipolar. That's not what that means. And people who are living with bipolar, that is super harmful to what they're experiencing when we say things like that. And that's where people like you that are so open and honest and really sharing what that looks like, the the real dark stuff, the real hard and uncomfortable stuff that starts to open people's eyes. I think when they can say that and say like, Oh, that's really what that space looks like. Maybe like you said, maybe I'm just worrying or I do have a tendency to worry or I'm having a bad day and I'm feeling really down for a couple of days because something's happening, but Mm -hmm. there's a very, very big difference in that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You talk a lot about unpacking trauma. And dealing with that. How much kickback do you get from that? I can (laughs) only imagine a lot. And what do you Um, do when somebody is talking about that? Like, I don't want to feel my shit. mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. But what's the alternative? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So being a trauma-based therapist, you know, not all of my clients have post-traumatic stress disorder. A majority of them do because that's what I specialize in. But I believe I look at every single person that I interact with, whether in my office or on the streets as we all have been through something that's changed us. And that's trauma. That's what that looks like. And so I look at everybody through this lens that what's the root? What, what changed for you? So for me coming from a blended family that changed me walking on eggshells and all, you know, being so aware of what I said and how I behaved that changed me having a best friend commit suicide that changed me the loss of my grandma, right? All of these things that at the time we we think that we have grieved them. We think that we have done the work and healed from it. However, the number one symptom of trauma is avoidance. So if there are things in your life that you literally cannot think about, will not think about, do not provide space to think about, that's traumatic. You're like, oh, I'm over it. I've dealt with it a long time ago. I don't need to think about it. That's avoidance. And it makes sense. There's, again, no blaming. You know, I I understand why we do this. If something terrible happened to you, why would you want to bring that to the surface? Why would you want to talk about that, right? But we have to. Trauma eats away at us. It impacts our ability to fully live our lives because it's like a weight. And I often compare it to this idea that you know, when you get into a new relationship with somebody, they often say like, oh, you don't want to date me. I have a lot of baggage. (laughs) And baggage is this idea that we've been through stuff and it's still impacting us. So we all walk around with this invisible suitcase. That's what I call it. And our invisible suitcase, if I'm carrying this, lugging this along with me all the time, it impacts every single thing that I do because I'm weighed down by it. And so I can't think for myself. I have to do everything 
considering I also have to lug along this suitcase. And so what I want to help people do and what I spend, you know, both in my coaching programs and in my therapy office is let's get to the root of it. You know, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and they said, but I've already dealt with that. Why do I need to bring it back up? And I said, why don't you want to bring it back up? And he said, because I don't want to have those feelings. And I, and I was like, I just looked at him and he goes, Oh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and then we just talked about avoidance because he was like, you're right. I haven't dealt with it. If I'm still actively trying not to think about it or bring it to the forefront. And so I think that that's the difference. People just say, well, if you could just avoid it, if you could just leave it, you know, it it happened in the past, leave it there. Right. I hear that all the time. And I tell people, you have no idea what you're missing out on. You have no idea the quality of life that you could be having. If you would release this and heal from it and allow yourself space to feel those emotions that you, you didn't get to back then. And so for me, one of the greatest things I've done personally in my own healing process and that I walk my clients through is let's go back. You know, we, we come up to this memory of this time and, you know, for me, it was like, I was like nine years old. I was a young girl and I had this very vivid memory of feeling so hopeless. I felt worthless. I was really in a dark place and I, I just wanted everyone around me to be happy, but I wasn't taking care of myself. And so in this activity that I walk my clients through, it's like, close your eyes, you know, tell me everything about that scene and now go back there, go be with that younger version of yourself. Tell her what she needs to hear. What, you know, what was she not getting at that time that you can give to her now? And so when I walked through this with my own therapist, it was like, she wants me to just sit with her. She needs me to hold her hand. She wants me to play with her hair. She wants me to hug her and tell her, thank you. And for me, it was important to thank her because I'm so grateful for where I'm at today. And in order for me to be here, she had to endure all of that. And so I just said, thank you for being so strong. You're so brave, you know, and I believe that every version of ourselves still exists. So in my memory, that was still her, you know, it's, it was 2018 as I was doing this activity and that memory was from probably the nineties, you know, and I still was able to go back and just say, thank you. You know, I'm so grateful for you. You're so strong. It does get better. You know, you're so brave, all of these things and be there for her in a way that nobody else was for her at that time. To me, there's always a, lo- a level two of not only do I not want to deal with it because I don't want to feel that emotion. I just, I don't want to put myself in that place because I'm scared. I'm scared mm-hmm. of more of what it's going to bring up. This really interesting underlying of, but I'm also kind of attached to this. This mm-hmm. is kind of my story. This is kind of something that I've created as an identity for myself. And what does that look like if I give that up? Absolutely. I'm sick and twisted as that is. No, we are addicted to the chaos. We are addicted to, we get sucked into this victim mentality of these things that have happened to us. And the biggest thing, you know, if everyone could take away one thing from this, I would hope that it would be switching that mindset from one of a victim to empowerment. So looking at things of, yes, that happened, but it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. There was a lesson, something I work with, you know, victims of sexual assault and abuse and domestic violence and gang violence and 
abandonment and all of these things. And we are able to, we are able to switch that, that's narrative of how did this happen for you? How did we grow from this? You know, and it's very difficult for people who are stuck, you know, they dig their heels in and go, you think I was, you know, raped or shot at or whatever the situation might have, the traumatic event might have been. You think that happened for me? And that's when I know, okay, we're really digging our heels in because we're, we're trapped. We're trapped in the chaos of this victim mindset. And we're not ready yet to move into that empowered mindset. Cause I tell my clients all the time, I can't take away your trauma, but I am going to get in there with you and help you clean it out and, you know, stitch up that wound so that it's easier to live with. I can't, you know, you're always going to have their memory that it happened. I can't do anything about that, but it can make it easier to live with. And I think that that's the piece that people are tricked into believing is that it, it can't ever get better. What happened to me was so horrific. You know, I work with clients who have been sex trafficked and all of these things that I can help them move into this empowered mindset once they stop digging their heels in because it's out of fear. I want to stay in the chaos because that's what I know. That's what's comfortable to me. And so we literally have to teach ourselves how to be okay with being content and at peace with ourselves. You know, I don't even help my clients strive for happiness. We just strive for content and peace. How do you as a therapist and as an online coach, how do you not take on everybody's trauma? You have your own set. Mm-hmm. How it, that's heavy. V stuff that is heavy. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm very humbled. I look at this entire experience as I get to do this. And this is an amazing opportunity to hold space for people on a very regular basis. I have clients telling me I've never told someone this before. Right. And to me, I just sit there and it is such a lightness, like the thing that they're talking about is so dark and so horrific, but bringing it to the surface, I believe secrets keep us sick. So providing a space where people get to bring their deep and dark to, to the surface and into the light, to me, it's not about what they went through, but how they're acknowledging it and fighting back now. So I take a very different perspective because, you know, it, it is, it's heavy and it could easily weigh me down to the point where, you know, I could, I could spend a week in bed if I were just thinking about all the things I've listened to and that we've processed in, in great, gory, horrific detail. But I, I look at it differently. Every time someone opens up about something, I just, I feel the healing start to happen. I feel it as it's occurring in front of me. And to me, that just overpowers any sense of, being weighed down or that it's, you know, too much to handle. But on top of that, logistically, I am very on top of my own self-care and I won't get into too much of a tangent, but there is a difference between self-care and pampering. So again, there is some idea that getting our nails done is self-care or that, you know, um, putting on a face mask is self-care where I would argue that's pampering. Self-care is the ugly. It's the nasty. It's the doing the work. So when I dive into my journal or my own personal development and growth, when I'm reading these books or listening to my own podcasts and, and trying to grow, 
and when I'm, you know, seeing my own therapist, when I'm plugging into my professional support network and asking for help in those areas, that self-care it to me, because I, I get to ask for my own help. I get to dig in and grow as a person versus pampering, which would be like relaxing, putting on a face mask, watching Netflix. And I think equal, they are both equally important. I just do think that there is a distinction between the two of why you think you're doing all this self-care, but you still feel burnt out maybe is because we have painted as a society, an idea of what self-care is. And I think we're a little bit off. Mm, I couldn't agree more too. Self-care really isn't fun it isn't beautiful it's necessary totally there are things that you can do to pamper yourself that make you feel good that give you that boost but very very different right absolutely so I mean I do you know I work out every single day I move my body to release the tension from the weight that I hold you know holding space for people can be tiring sitting in there keeping it together when people are telling you these things and so I do make sure to you know do the basics try to eat well move my own, move my body, things like that. Um, But I would say more so putting in the work for myself and doing my own healing along the way and giving myself permission to, you know, unplug. I I try to really leave work at work um, and, and disconnect and separate a little bit too. What would be your top piece of advice for somebody who is either currently struggling with anxiety or is saying, maybe this, this does sound like me. Wow. Like -hmm. that same realization that you had in grad school, like, oh my God, this makes sense. Yeah. The most, I mean, something that you can do today is plug into a support system. We suffer in silence way too often and we feel like no one's going to understand us or hold space for us. And so we, we slide into you know, not to be too blunt, but this like pity party of like, Mm -hmm. this is really hard and, and it's painful and no one gets me, but that's not true. There are people out there who understand and want to support you and connect with you. So I'm, I'm loving the social media space for this because we can connect and, you know, still keep our distance, not, you know, not be too vulnerable if we're not ready yet. Uh, But if you think that this is you, I mean, I think everybody deserves to have a therapist and let's note that I'm not saying that everybody should have a therapist. We deserve that. We deserve a space that is simply ours where someone is going to guide us on that path. And so I I do encourage people if they're struggling, your insurance covers it most of the time. So it's like a free resource out there that we're not taking advantage of. And that I don't, I don't get that. (laughs) So I would highly encourage people. I did not have a great insurance plan last year and I still paid a hundred dollars a week to go see my therapist because I knew that that was what I needed and I deserved to have that healing space. Well, and I think we kind of get to that space too, of realizing that you're worthy. And I know you've talked a lot about that, but really Mm -hmm. choosing you and saying, guess what? This value is more important to me than having an extra hundred dollars a week. And that's a lot of money. Like I very, very understand that. Like I'm not minimizing that, but Mm -hmm. it's what is the alternative? Totally. Totally. People find you if they want to know more about you, um, either work with you or just follow your both 
hilarious and <laughs> honest conversations that you have on social media. Yes. So I'm the anxious therapist. I kind of coined myself this term. Love it. Love uh, it. Because I was like, this is so ironic that I have an anxiety disorder and I am a therapist. However, you know, when you have a little bit of trauma and this rough history, you want to help people. So it makes sense to a lot of people of like why that happens. But I am the anxious therapist. That's how you can find me on Instagram, the anxious therapist. My podcast is called the anxious therapist and um, the anxious therapist podcast.com is my website. And can we just talk about how much you are killing it with that podcast, girl? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. It is honestly so humbling. Um, I We are really close to 100,000 downloads. And that, like, really, like, I just got total body shivers because I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, there is such a need, right? And so I think that that's why it is exploding. But it is such an honor and a privilege to create a space for people to come together to feel heard and understood. And I I do not take that for granted for a second. And I hope that everybody that's listening today is hearing the phrasing and the way that Jacqueline talks about everything. How many times has she said it is an honor, it is a privilege to Mm. listen to her podcast, to for the work that she gets to do? You can tell your passion. You can tell that you're meant to do this because very few people that I know talk about their job and continually Mm -hmm. say it is an honor. It is a privilege. And you, again, are dealing with extremely heavy situations. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I always end with a few questions. So just to get to know you, we should always do these at the beginning. I don't know why I don't, but it's just <laughs> habit now to do it at the end. Totally. <laughs> but so they can leave knowing you a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, morning routines, love them. Not great about having my own, but I always like to ask other people, what is the very first thing, Jacqueline, that you do in the morning that's solely for you? I grab my cat. Um, yeah. I literally wake up and look for him. Uh, we have two cats. One usually sleeps with us and the other is off somewhere. And so I literally get out of bed first thing and go find him. He's like all wet noodle and cuddly in the morning. And so I bring him into bed with us. I wake up and chat with my fiance. I, you know, he's usually trying to sleep a little bit longer, but I'm like ready to go. <laughs> so I wake him up and we just have a few quiet moments. I used to be So like you have to get up the second your alarm goes off and, you know, do all the things and get your this done. And that that rigidity was like painful for me. And so I decided to switch it up. I take a little bit more ease and grace with my mornings. And that has made a world of difference to start my day. There's two. I love that. I feel the same way. I used to actually feel really guilty if I wasn't at the gym Mm -hmm. at like four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, dude, it's your day off. I bet you could sleep in a little bit. Right. But yeah, that that schedule. And yeah, and it is schedule works great for some people. But sometimes there's a lot of need to say, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be quite that way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What would you say is your super weapon? Oh, my super weapon is my ability to be vulnerable and real. I don't 
you know, even in working with my own therapist, there's not a lot of people out there, you know, and I don't advertise to my like private practice clients that I have a social media presence or that I have a podcast, but I still keep it real with them. And I think my ability to be vulnerable and when they're sharing about something and I, I can just be with them in that moment and say, I understand. And I truly do. Um, but then to show up in the online space and let people know, like, I'm here to talk about everything and anything that, you know, most people shy away from because it's uncomfortable. It's taboo to talk about, like, that's the shit I want to bring to the surface and let's do it. So I think that that's my super, super weapon. Mm. Mm -hmm. And again, proving exactly why you are meant to be doing exactly (laughs) what you are doing. The final question always is, what does being fierce mean to you? Oh, I just got total body goosebumps. Um, I'm a super emotional person. And for me, being fierce is tapping into that. It's not, you know, I, I was, I grew up with people constantly telling me, you don't need to cry. Like there's nothing, there's no reason to be upset. And I minimized and hid my emotions for so long that now I show up in a way that it's like, let, let it fly, let it out, release it, no more holding it in because that's going to build and it'd be so painful and I'm just going to have to deal with it later. So feel it like that makes you fierce and being able to feel and truly experience your emotions. And coming back to, I honestly, as you saying that now, I'm like, oh my gosh, why have I not thought of this? <laughs> what a, what a fierce statement to yourself to say, I am going to feel it. I'm going to deal with this now, even though I don't want to, but that's actually setting me up to be successful down the road. Yes, absolutely. Jacqueline, this has been an absolute pleasure. I could honestly pick your brain for (laughs) all day long. I love your spirit. I love everything that you are doing and how you share that with the world. So thank you so very much for being a part of this today. Oh, it's truly my pleasure. I know that as podcasters, our space is so near and dear to our heart. So you being able to and willing to open up yours and share this story and share me and my views with your audience. I mean, that is so special and I'm very, very grateful. Well, we're just awesome together then, aren't we? Yes, totally agree. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Fit and Fierce podcast. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and download so you never miss an episode and drop me a rating and review. It's the best way to support the show and to keep more episodes coming your way. See you next time.